Hey everyone, it's been a while and I hope everyone is taking good care of themselves this winter season. I feel bad I've taken such a long break. I've been traveling quite a bit and I didn't always have access to the internet and I didn't always bring my computer along. And then once I finished up my travels, my computer needed to be fixed. It wasn't anything major. There's just a certain model of Apple laptops with screens that start degrading after some time, at least the lamination on the screen. And Apple finally admitted that they were doing something wrong and were giving away free fixes. So while in the States, I, I thought it'd be best to get a new screen for free, but I couldn't touch my computer for a bit. But everything is now up and running. And as I just mentioned, I'm in the States. I'm actually in Vermont. And I'm here for a residency. I've been here this past month and it's been pretty productive. In spite of Vermont being overwhelmingly filled with Sally's and Becky's, I did meet a wonderful group of POC artists and writers. We bonded over not anything in particular, but as one writer described our group, we were drawn to each other kind of like a collective unconscious that was already there. Shout out to Cindy for that really beautiful sentence. Anyway, I've been spending my time here reading, meditating, shooting a new video, and interviewing some people here. I'm excited to release those episodes very soon. I also got to give a talk in Portland, Maine. Uh, I talked about my artwork and the podcast. Again, shout out to everyone who came to see me talk, and I was really glad I could share my work there. I did some studio visits and also met with a documentary studies class and they asked me some great questions that caused me to reflect about my podcast in new ways. I will be releasing more episodes starting in two weeks from now. But for today, I'll publish an interview I did on another podcast, Art People Pod, with Justin Favela. You may have remembered Justin from my very first episode. Justin was also the person who originally inspired me to begin a podcast. And I thought releasing him interviewing me for his podcast would be a good interim before starting back up again. I hope you enjoy this. Hi, I'm Favi Fav, also known as Justin Favela, and this is my new show, The Art People Podcast. It's about art, people. You get it? See what I did there? Okay. Well, some of you may know me from the podcast Latinos Who Lunch. If you don't, that's all right. Let me tell you who I am. I'm an artist and I travel a lot and I get to meet so many interesting people along the way. And on this show, you will not only hear me ramble on about my own work, but you'll also hear conversations I have with artists, including musicians, writers, actors, chefs, educators, creators, and fellow podcasters from around the world. And let's not forget art historians, curators, museum and gallery staff members, art collectors and art lovers that are also just as important when it comes to shaping the art world. I was born and raised in Las Vegas, Nevada, the place that I still call home. And I want to also use this podcast as a platform to highlight the amazing and supportive arts community in Vegas. I love my city and I love the incredibly talented art people that live there and continue to inspire me. A couple of weeks ago, I was in Berlin visiting my dear friend, Ziwan Chung. I met Ziwan a couple years back at an artist residency in Miami, and I immediately fell in love with his video work. 
And through the trauma of being in what we called the sunken place, <laughs> we became fast friends. We have kept in touch over the years, meeting up in different cities whenever we can. The conversation you're about to hear was recorded in Ziwan's studio in Berlin, Germany. Sit back, relax, and listen in as we talk about artist residencies, podcasting, race, and so much more. We're here with Ziwan Chung. We're good, right? We're in, recording? Yep, in Berlin. Berlin. Germany. Yeah, Deutschland. Deutschland. How are you? I'm good. Good. How are you? Good. You look you look relaxed. You you look like you're ready for a conversation. I think I'm, I look like I'm ready to go to sleep. <laughs> I'm like wearing all my pajamas, comfortable clothes. Yes. Yeah. So we're doing a little coffee talk here. You made me a really strong coffee. I really like that because yeah. I was also falling asleep. <laughs> Had a long day. Went to go see part of the Berlin Wall. Went to the Dance Dance Revolution Museum. <laughs> Um, what is it? The uh, Deutsche Democratic Republic. That museum was nuts. Or, I mean, the Amer- it's DDR in German, and then Americans say GDR, right? German Democratic Republic. Yeah. It's kind of confusing, but yeah. That was a lot. DDR represents the East Germany, so... And as they say, if you need to put democratic in your title, you're probably not democratic. Kind of like if you, if you have to say you're not racist, you're probably racist. We're all racist. I mean, especially here in Germany. <laughs> so I've known you for a couple years now. 2016, right? Yeah. I think that's when we met. In, uh, June. May, June. 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 June 2016. Yes. And we met at a residency in Florida. Shout out to the Fountainhead Residency mm-hmm. in Florida. Sunken place. Where we we were trapped for two months. <laughs> well, were, how long were you, you were, there? How long were you for, there? I was only there for a month. I was there for there for a month and a half, I yeah. think. Yeah. But it felt like two months for you. It felt like an eternity, yes. But <laughs> uh, I'm so happy I met you. I met uh, Corey Newkirk, right? Is that yeah. his name? Yeah. And I met... <laughs> <laughs> and I met you. I want to interview Corey, but yeah. He's so funny. Uh-huh. Yvette Mayorga mm-hmm. and uh, Nina, Nina Bonina Brown. No, Nina Paulina, <laughs> Nina Paola Martinez. I forgot her name. I'm probably going to edit all this shit out. Okay. No, you won't. I think I, I think? this podcast is way more professional than Latino Sulan. <laughs> Last time okay? you told me you're going to edit my podcast. Yeah. Take all the albums I listen to. And then the next day you're like, yeah, I was like really high. So I just sort of pretended I listened <laughs> No, I did take out all the ums. You just said um a lot. I didn't. I didn't want to take out too many. Too many of them because I wanted to just. I wanted it to sound natural. You know. Oh, okay. Um. <laughs> okay. So you're here in Berlin. Mm-hmm. You were originally living in Pittsburgh, but you were traveling all over, mm-hmm. doing residencies for a long time. Mm-hmm. Um, and then now you've landed here. Now, how has that res? How has this residency life been the last like? Two years, right? Two, three years? Uh, this would be my second year. I mean, officially it started June 2016 when I met you. That was with the Fountainhead residency. And then I taught pre-college. I taught high school students for the summer, make some cash. And then went on um, to Willapa Bay Air for August 2016. Where is that? What is that? That's in Washington State. And what is it? what do you do there? Um, that, that was my actually my favorite um Residency, so shout out to Willapa Bay Air. They are in southwest Washington State on this tiny little peninsula called Long Beach or 
I'm not sure what the peninsula is called. Yeah, the past Long Beach, Washington State. The Pacific Northwest is just gorgeous, and you just have to get yourself there. And then housing and food is provided for. You get your own cottage. Lunch is brought to you to your cottage or your studio, wherever you happen to be. The town's called Oysterville, so if you like oysters, it's an oyster town. And then the people who run it really care about food, so the food is like one of the best I've ever had. Damn, and you apply to that? I applied to that, yeah. Yeah, and what did you do when you were there? Uh, I filmed myself wearing a Nixon mask, doing a bunch of... I, I never know what I'm doing while I'm filming, and then I figure out later, but... That project's on hold because I don't quite know what to do with that project. Because mm. uh, I realize, you know, doing art and anything artistic and creative is a learning process. And so I realize I kind of put myself in a hole with the Nixon mask because, you know, the Nixon mask is just so identifiable and charged. And I realize that the way I make my work, I tend to, because I tend to do it first, not knowing what I'm doing, and then I put a narrative around or I force a context into what I'm doing with the Nixon mask I can't really force too many contexts onto that yeah you know like it's not as open I mean it's very loaded it's loaded right and so I I can't just like tell a random story like I normally do and then an Asian (laughs) dude wearing a Nixon mask yeah yeah. in Washington yeah the fuck does that mean yeah I don't even so (laughs) you're trying to figure that out (laughs) yeah yeah whereas like other ones like you know I'm like wearing a dinosaur costume or like a bunny costume or I'm running around painted orange. Like there are significance to this, but those are just so much more broad that I can, I can put my own stamp on it. Yeah. Cause it's almost like a blank campus. Like anyone running around in bunny costume is like, can mean so many different things. Right. And is that beholden to what, what was he? The 30 something president? Sure. Yeah, sure. Something like that. (laughs) And so from Washington, then where did you go? So that was for a month, and then I did a road trip back to Pittsburgh for a month. I saw all these different great national parks. Then I went to I went to I Park. That's in Connecticut, Connecticut, East Haddam, Connecticut. I believe that I Park's been around for a while. They also have like free lodging and housing. It's more East Coast. I believe Willapa Bay is only like four or five years old, and they like looked at I Park as a reference for like how a residency mm. might. Go. So it felt similar, except I Park was a little older. You know, sorry, I Park, the food wasn't as great as Willapa Bay Air. But, you know, I guess you can't complain. It's free housing and free food. Right? Yeah. And, like, they restock the refrigerator. So, like, you know, you can have unlimited coffee. Breakfast is, like, unlimited amounts of cereal, bacon, eggs, toast, whatever you want, avocados. Greens, uh, beans, tomatoes, potatoes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. exactly. Yeah, and then uh, while there, I went to Yale, checked out... Harry Potter University town. Yeah. Um, went to the Glass House. It's a beautiful architectural building that I recommend people checking out. And yeah, and then I, what I filmed there, I have a six-channel video that I is not finished yet, but I was able to convince the other residents to wear a bunch of animal masks <laughs> and just walk around. So that was great because that was the first time I wasn't filming myself. Mm. So I got to control the camera. So most of my other videos... You'll notice the videos are a steady camera, like it's on a tripod, tripod. Whereas this one, I was able to have a roaming camera that's sort of moving around. So, but yeah, so that's still in the works. From there, then I drove all the way out to San Francisco or Oakland, California, Berkeley, California. Went to Kala, which is a printmaking studio. 
and they just opened up a new media residency. So I'm there. Oh, that's where you made that panda print that you gave me? Yeah. Oh, awesome. Yeah. Did you, where is that panda print? It's in my room. <laughs> it's in your room? Yeah, thank you. Um, so I was there for two months. Oakland's a very interesting place, I think. Yeah, I'm going there soon. I can't wait yeah. to hang out there for a while. It's so expensive. Yeah. I think. Thank you, Google. Yeah, I know. Well, every, everyone. <laughs> well, everyone. It's, it's an interesting place. I don't know, just like... You know, the haves and haves nots are sort of right in your face in that city. What do you mean by that? Well, it means like you've got, you know, homeless people right outside, like, I'm not sure if Google headquarters, but like Yelp headquarters, all those different like multi-million dollar headquarters. And Mm -hmm. yeah, I don't know. And there's like, as I understand, there's like lots of like, you know, it's like, it's a very liberal city, but then like the ex-mayor, he died of a heart attack actually last year. He was like a Chinese guy. He was trying to get affordable housing. As I understand it, he he had trouble because all the residents who had their nice little cottages didn't want like these high rises going up. So like he didn't have anywhere to build this city where supposedly is all liberal white people, right? Mm. And it's like complicated because they're like, oh, well, we bought this house so that we could have a nice view and we don't want high rises going up then, you know. Yeah. And then you had a residency in Anderson Ranch, right, in Colorado. Mm -hmm. Well, I met you in Denver first. Oh, you came and visited me in Denver. I went to Denver. Shout out to Denver. Denver. (laughs) What did we do there? I was there at Museo de las Americas. I was in a group show, and you got to meet all these queer POC people that threw a little party for me, but Mm -hmm. I was too high to function. So I just sat there and ate shrimp for two hours. (laughs) I think you you had multiple hits from that bong, right? I cannot believe I haven't smoked a bong since, bong since college, and I just knocked me the fuck out. That was bad, but I don't do that anymore. I learned my lesson. I don't. If I'm meeting people that I don't know, I don't smoke pot anymore because especially not someone else's pot. Yeah, that was especially yours. Denver. Yeah, pot that was insane. Yeah, yeah, uh, it was wonderful. I just did a residency in Breckenridge, Colorado, which is like. Mm-hmm. Uh, Anderson Ranch light. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That basically is, is, is it light? I don't know anything about it. Oh, they basically based the residency on Anderson Ranch. Really? So, yeah, I mean oh. that was their model for oh. it. So they told you that. They told me oh, that. Okay. Yeah. So it's like all these little different studios, like yeah. printmaking studio, ceramic studio. Can you apply to it or is it invite? I was invited, but you can also apply to it. Mm-hmm. Yes, it's a ski town. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and then did I miss did I miss some Anderson um, Ranch? Yeah, so I went to Anderson Ranch, which is a weird residency. I mean, it's nice. It was the only one that I had to pay for. All the others, I got a stipend. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah, so Anderson Ranch was fifteen hundred. It's for like two and a, but I was like, it's two and a half months for housing and food for fifteen hundred. So I was like, that's good. It was relatively cheap. It's just like I wish I know how much money they make. You know. And like, it's weird. They don't pay any of their interns. I'm saying this because I'm calling them out, but basically like they don't pay any of the interns. So all the interns are white and privileged. They're all really nice, but it's like, you know, and then, Mm -hmm. um, shout out to Mason and Trent. Oh, I'm just saying white people names at this point. (laughs) (laughs) Jeremy Shaw. Yeah. Jeremy (laughs) Shaw. Yeah. Um, yeah, and then but like you know they 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 make their their money making businesses during the summer when they invite like people like Micheline Thomas like re, uh, really big name artists yeah so that 
rich people from New York and fly to Aspen in the summer and take classes from these famous New York artists. Wow. Uh, so yeah. And then like, I think they had like a um, fundraiser and like they invited, I heard Solange there too. I mean, so like that's like a lot of money, right? So like you can totally cover, pay a little bit of stipend to the interns and like there's 15 of us. You could totally cover like 1500 from each one of us. Yeah. I mean, it's already subsidized. I know that. But it's like, if you're going to invite Solange, like, come on. That I covers know. food, the 1500 It covers food and health. Oh, that's so good. So, I mean, I mean, it is a good deal. Yeah. Like, I didn't spend any money there. Yeah. Like, I went out to eat a few times, but, like, it's similar setup. Food's provided, bacon's provided, eggs provided, avocados provided. Like, Oh, toast. yeah. You have to have avocado, especially if you're in the mountains of Colorado. I know. Yeah. So, <laughs> those always went, the, those always went first. Like, I think Tuesday was like restocking day and by Sunday night, like <laughs> the kitchen staff were gone. So they like cooked stuff Saturday. We left over Sunday and by the end of Sunday night, it was like slim pickings and people were like scrounging around. Yeah. But, you know, it was overall, it was like, it was, it was fine. It was fun. I met a lot of great people. Yeah. And then I did, I had like 12 days. Didn't I meet you again? No, I didn't meet you. Did I meet you? Again? You met me in Maine. I did. I was doing oh, yeah. a residency at Space in Maine, and yeah. you visited me there because you were. Yeah. So after Anderson, uh, I went to. I had like a few days. I did a bunch of more um, national parks, like Bryce, Death Valley. Death Valley is just gorgeous. It's just like I can't. It's so vast. Yeah. First of all, and yeah. then you can't really explain the beauty of it. I went for the Super Bloom one year. And you know where the, all the flowers are in bloom and it's all yellow. But that, now, you have to, but that requires like a lot of luck yeah. for it to happen, right? Because you need, you, as I, I was trying to look it up and you need rain to happen early on so that the flowers can have time to prep. Right. And, and, then, and they get like two inches of rain a year or something. And they can be too hot. So it has to be like the exact yeah. s- right time in the spring. Then when you go to photograph the work, the, the work, the God's work. It is a work. Thank you, God. It's more beautiful than anything we could make. <laughs> That's very true. Um, you can't really capture the beauty of it in mm-hmm. photographs. Like I couldn't capture how vast it was and how many flowers there were yeah because it was just so much which is pretty cool very sublime it was amazing okay death valley and then you were like in wyoming or something yeah then i went to wyoming yeah Yeah. wyoming was weird so that's like also i went to this uh, residency called rush creek that's also near residency four or five years they also like did the same thing willapa bay did so they kind of model it off other residencies that are month-long that has like a mix of writers, musicians, artists, and supposedly try to provide, you know, they give you like free housing and food. But that was a, we- that was a, that was a weird one because it was owned by a bunch of real estate hospitality people from Indianapolis, I believe, called the Whites, Mr. and Mrs. White. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And as I understand, they bought like I don't know. The number keeps shifting. I'm just going to throw out like 900 acres in Wyoming. And they didn't know what to do with it. They built a cabin there. And then somehow along the lines, I think they were like, oh, maybe we'll make it a sort of like a hospitality ranch just for friends. And now it's like a really bougie ranching holiday excursion. So you can pay like a thousand a night to like fly fish, shoot shoot birds, ride horses, ranch, you know, herd some horses, uh, whatever you want to do. Nice. Did and you do all that? So this, yes. Yeah, so then they're like, oh, we're, so the whites are like, we're supporters of the art. So they have so much land that they built like a bunch of cabins and we're like, 
they created like an artist section. So we're sort of sequestered away. So we actually can't partake in any of those activities. So oh. We're actually not allowed on the grounds of where the the guests are staying. So yeah. We're, we're like... We were like, we can't be seen or heard, but we, we, all our pictures are like posted on the guest lobby. What? Yeah. So we're like exotic animals to be mm. spotted. Right. So, but we have access to all acres so we could walk, they have like trails prepared so we can walk all over, but we just can't partake in the activities and we can't go into the main campus where they have the restaurant. But we, we were able to visit and there wasn't much to see, but just weird how everything was so sequestered and, you know, cause I thought it'd be like a great opportunity as an artist to like partake and also like film and like, I mean, I understand like not filming the guests, but like, you know, partake in certain activities for artistic purposes, but yeah, they weren't really for that. Yeah. I guess I'm asking you about all your residencies because recently I was asked by a bunch of interns at a museum about residencies and I didn't really think about, I haven't really thought about it even myself because I've been doing the same thing you have for the past two years, just like going from place to place. And you're doing slightly differently. Well, I'm doing installation work and they turn into residencies because I'm there for so long, which, which is a lot different than you because I feel like I come with my ideas already and I'm just executing them. I'm not really responding or, or just using this time to think about things, yeah. Uh, which is great, and also like I, I don't know, I feel like damaging for my practice because I don't have time to like think of new ideas, you know. But oh, and also like one thing that you said, you texted me recently that really made me think, mm-hmm. and you you're saying I don't know if this is okay to say, but you were saying that it's eating into your soul, yeah, because you're just doing all these Day of the Dead um, installations, yeah. Or artworks, and then I guess you put it into context for me, and you're like, "Well, I don't. Well, I don't. I don't think I was questioning you, but you just were asking me, like, how would you feel if you had to like got paid, but were only allowed to do like Chinese New Year installations yeah. or something like that? Would you do it? Yeah, would I do it? And then I, and then I don't think I even ever thought about that as like what you were doing, but that's what you were doing, right? Like you only could make art about that. Uh, and it was interesting. It was an interesting sort of proposition for me to think about. Yeah, because I think a lot of times with my work, I'm hired because um, I'm the art world doesn't like to use the word hired. I'm commissioned yeah. to do art during Latin Latino Hist- Heritage Month and. Cinco de Mayo and yeah. Day of the Dead yeah. and it's it's like we exist at all t- you know yeah. we exist at all times of the year not just during that month or yeah. during those holidays um, also white people can make it exist anytime they want right exactly so <laughs> <laughs> right? yeah they write history they can just make up holidays too <laughs> yeah so that's why I feel I feel guilty about that or like conflicted about that. So I was asking you because I know that you do work about race and about your identity and you also have a podcast, which we're going to get into in a little bit about race and identity when it comes to the art world. Um, so I don't know. I guess I just wanted I knew what you were going to say because I know you. You're going to be like, yeah, take the money and run, bitch, you know? But I think I said I would do it for a year. Yeah. Yeah, I was like, and then after that, I'm not sure. Because I could see how it's eating into you. And I think, yeah. it, would, I think it would eat into me because I'd be like, this is starting to get boring. Yeah, I don't Yeah, know. I'm pretty much, at this moment in, in my career, I'm like dead inside. And I need to... 
I, I need to come back to life, yeah. but I, I'm aware of it now. Yeah. So it's like, I'm not doing any day of the dead shows after 2020. Cause I already have the next, I already have the next two years. I already have the next two years booked. Damn. I know. See, it's like, it's really hot right now. D D D L M is really hot right now. So, um, but going back to the original question, yeah, yeah, sorry. So no, that's fine. So I had to really think about it. And I said, what, what was, what were the main benefits of me doing all these residencies? And yeah. for me, I'm a people person. I like talking to people. Mm-hmm. Actually, I don't even like talking as much anymore. Just being around people and just being inspired by people really motivates me just to, just to be in a social setting. Um, but then I've also noticed that I also, uh, like I was just in Breckenridge, Colorado in a cabin by myself. And I also really like that. Just like I've been, I've learned how to be by myself in the last two years. Um, you caught me at the very beginning when I was learning how to do that. I don't know if you you were in in Florida and Miami. Remember I would always be like, what are you doing today? Can I do whatever you're doing? Like, I don't want to be by myself. It never felt like that. I don't remember that. I know because I like play it cool and I like pretended that I didn't want to be around. You're very manipulative. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. I'm a sociopath. (laughs) So, um, (laughs) but now like, I mean, after doing all these residencies, I find myself like going to the movies by myself Mm -hmm. and just like, I never used to go to a restaurant and eat by myself. Mm -hmm. I thought that was like, like, I'm never going to be that person. I have so many friends and now like I, I can do that and I'm fine with that. And it's It's liberating. It's liberating. And I learned to do that because of all these weird places that I go to and I'm like, I'd rather be by myself than meet somebody new that I'm going to have superficial conversations with. And then I'd rather just like, just eat by myself. And so I told the interns at this museum that I was at that I loved residencies because you connect with other artists. Those have been the, those have been the most positive things, you know, meeting you, uh, meeting, meeting the community in Denver. Like I love, uh, I love so many of those people. You met a lot of those people that I'm still in contact with. Um, you know, meeting Yvette Mayorga, who's in Chicago now. Um, just, just so many people, I'm not going to list them all cause we don't, ha- we don't have time, but that's what I really love. And, you know, yes, we get to travel, but that's not, I don't know. That's not that important to me. Like seeing new cities. Oh, okay. Yeah. You know what? Like to me, all cities are saying, look, we're like, we're in Berlin right now. Yeah. I love that. I'm in Berlin. I'm love. I love that. I'm hanging out here in your studio with you at this residency. Yeah. It doesn't matter where, where it is. Like I'm hanging out with friends. Yeah. I'm seeing things. You go to one fucking cathedral. You've seen them all. <laughs> you go to one. I, I don't know. To me, you yeah. go to one, art, all yeah. art museums, history museums. Yeah. They just kind of blend in, in my memories. Yeah. yeah. You know what I mean? So yeah. it's like really about like social, ex- social yeah, interaction yeah. for me. Right, right. Um, but and that might change. I'm wondering what, what your experience has been and like, what, what are the, what are the things that stick with you from doing all these residencies? Cause I see you out in nature a lot. Um, <laughs> I, ch- I like nature, but I don't do it as, I don't go outside as much as you do. Yeah. I also see that you're a connector of people. Um, even though that you are a robot <laughs> when it comes to some things, but you're also, like you're probably yeah, like, specific. you're just like, you're, <laughs> what do you mean? <laughs> some things. <laughs> <laughs> no, you're just very disciplined. That's what uh, I should say. Okay. Like you're always working, which is, yeah. I, I admire a lot. Um, I get distracted so easy. Mm-hmm. Just like you saw, I'm, I was just watching 
YouTube the best of Tiffany New York Pollard for an hour. I anyway. get distracted too. But what is, yeah, what's, what, are, what are the benefits from residencies for you for maybe artists that are thinking about doing residencies yeah. and don't really know how to go about getting them and, yeah. and the benefits of them? Yeah. I think the first thing, well, I've enjoyed it, but I think the one thing that I have to point out is residencies are inherently a, a privileged thing to do. And so if you really want to do it, you kind of have to plan things out. So a few of the things I noticed, I was able to do the string of residencies that I did because a lot of things lined up. I didn't, I, so I got my master's at Carnegie Mellon in 2016. I didn't actually get anything right when I, right when I graduated. And so I lucked out because a few openings happened so I could teach adjunct at Carnegie Mellon which was a city that I re- it was it was really cheap, and I could just. Um, That's in Pittsburgh, right? It's in Pittsburgh, so I was able to stay there. I taught three classes, made some money, and then I also and I used that free time to have a show, but also just really refine everything that I've already had and reapply to stuff. So I had the time after I graduated to teach uh, one class fall, two classes in spring. So I think that was six hours and then 12 hours, which is not that much. So I could, I could really have time to focus on my art, rewrite my applications, and then I applied to a whole bunch of stuff. I was also lucky because the head of the school got me to design the School of Art website, which gave me a lot of money. And that allowed me to help pay off some of my loans. I was also lucky that my parents helped with my undergraduate loans. And so when I left... I didn't have any loans to worry about mm. because I'm not really making money while I'm residency hopping, right? So if I had like a $300 monthly loan payment, that'd be really hard. Or you just, you could like, I guess I could have, you could, the other thing you could do is just like spend time preparing and like working the entire year to save up. But I was lucky because I could the websites. So that that's something to consider, right? And the other thing to consider is with all the traveling, insurance gets really crazy mm. because of the fucked up system that we have for insurance in the state. So I had good insurance in Pittsburgh, but then once I left Pittsburgh, I would only be accepted for emergency stuff. So I couldn't get a checkup. So if you have any sort of uh, reoccurring health care things that need to be taken, that might be difficult because it's really annoying, right? It takes about a month for a new health care system to kick in every time you move. So if you're, I was moving like literally every month the insurance kind of would not really work out. Um, so that's something else to really consider. And so all the, but all those things lined up, right? Cause I was healthy. Uh, I didn't have any loans and I had time to focus on applying to stuff. So everything sort of lined up in a way that I just wanted to acknowledge. I don't think it'd be hard to replicate for me to do like in a lot of different other situations. If all those things work out, I thought it was like a really wonderful experience. I could go to different places. And like you said, I think one of the most interesting things about going to residencies is meeting other artists because it's sort of weird to meet people who've devoted their life to this thing that I think in all honesty is pretty useless. Right? Yeah. It has some use. I'm like all the people who don't do art always say, oh, art's useful. But like, I think if you talk to most artists, they would say it's pretty useless in the big scheme of things. Yeah. You know, it's just like things for rich people to look at and buy, you know? Right. And so 
also fascinating to meet these people who somehow want to make this thing that is not making any money. And they, whatever their situation is, whether they're rich, they save that money, they're also like spending time and money to go to these residencies. So they're inherently just interesting people, I think, most of the time. And so just connecting. And I also, in response to your traveling thing, I love traveling. I love, I think maybe sometimes cities sort of blend together, but like I love camping and, I, and all these residencies are like in the middle of nowhere because, yeah. oh, I mean, like that's the other thing. Residencies are expensive because they're also not making any money. So most of them tend to be in the middle of nowhere because that's the only way to really get affordable property, I think. So there, a lot of them were an excuse for me to like, who, like I would never in my life live in Wyoming. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, there's a population of 200,000 people. The whole state? The whole state. Are you kidding? Oh my God. The biggest city is Cheyenne with 60,000. You know, it's like. What are the, what are, is there just like a lot of cows there? Horses? There's a lot of ranching, right? A lot of ranching. I think it's one of the states that, whose population is decreasing. You know, it was a setting for, um, Brokeback Mountain, right? Yes. And, um, that's also where Laramie projects happened, Mm. you know? So like, not to say the entire state is like that, but like. I, nothing's going to bring me there, but it's cool that I was there for a month, Yeah, you know, and having an excuse to do it and getting, getting a free housing and food or like going to Berkeley slash Oakland slash San Francisco. Cause like I said, that's such an expensive city. I wouldn't really have an excuse to go there. So yeah. So, I mean, you love all, traveling. Yeah. But yeah. also, but like, I don't know, I think like meeting different people, like one of the things that sort of struck me was like when I was in Wyoming the ranch didn't have a recycling system set up. But then I was also thinking, if you have a state bigger than Pennsylvania with a population of 200,000 people, like, is it worth it to have a recycling system, right? With cars, you know, it's just like, yeah. so it's just like even th- like having that experience is sort of like thinking just the lives of those people are so vastly different than, you know, any sort of life that I've been living, you know? Which then made me think like their concerns are totally different than ours, or I say ours, but mine. And, you know, that can then go down a different path of like different politics and just different ways of living that, you know, a different sort of reality. And I think it's like sort of nice to sort of wake up to that. Yeah. it's Yeah, I guess. I mean, I do. I, I mean, I'm being... I'm being a little like... Facetious. Facetious. But I do, I do enjoy seeing how they're how the other side lives once in a while, you know, <laughs> but also I like to, I like to be in the same space for a while. I like to nest, yeah. you know, that's just like in my nature. Yeah. Um, but I mean, I acknowledge that. Like I, yeah. like I keep telling I, a lot of people I've met, I was like, I want to settle down. You, you know? do. I do. Yeah. Cause it's nice. It's really nice. Like when I was in Pittsburgh, so before Pittsburgh, I was in LA and I didn't know how long I'd be in LA. So I didn't really buy anything that was permanent. Yeah. And so I kept everything that I owned to a minimum and it, it's kind of annoying. You can't really buy nice things or like invest in things that you know that you'll use. And once I went to Pittsburgh, I was like, okay, I'm going to be here for at least three years. I don't know longer. And so I allow myself to like invest in like nice things, like drill, like art material or like things I knew I could at least have for three years. You know what I mean? I bought a saw the other day. Yeah. I felt... (laughs) First of all, I felt really butch, but then I said, wow, this is an investment. Yeah, no, right? Yeah. It's not going to go away. 
Yeah. You know, and you can keep using it. Can you, well, can you resharpen the saw? Yeah. Well, you just get new blades, I think. Okay. It's a, it's a miter saw. Okay. Like a chop okay. saw. Yeah. Yeah. Has a laser on it. Oh yeah. I'm really excited oh, about it. <laughs> I better use it. <laughs> so yeah. Yeah. So I don't know. So I would like to have a place I could call a home base. You know, I think that also would allow me not immediately, but maybe in down the line to like do more residencies, right? Like have a home base to store things rent things out and then go off and do like a month long residency, you know? So are you kind of treating these residencies like, let's see where I want to live, see where I want to settle down kind of thing? No. No. Okay. No, I'm just using these as an excuse to travel and go to places I would never be. Yeah. So now you're in Berlin. Yeah. Can you tell me why you're here? What are you doing? Uh, well, I wanted to go to Berlin forever and I applied for a Fulbright grant. So I applied actually three times. So I applied when I graduated, I applied during the year that I was teaching, and then I applied again while I was like uh, residency hopping, and so the third time I got in. Amazing. And so I was thinking, you know, I guess going back to like settling down, like in the back of my mind, I'm like, if I did settle down, and when I say settle down, I mean like owning property, part of my plans to try to get a university teaching job, right? And so... Uh, once you have something like that, like it gets harder to sort of take off time and like live in another country for a year or so. So I was really trying hard to get a Fulbright because I was like, this would be a chance that might not come anytime soon when I can just like live in another country for an entire year and have my expenses paid for, you know? That's amazing. Because like, I can always, people was like, oh, you can always oh, yeah. visit Berlin for two weeks. But like, no, I want to live here. Right. You know, that's a different experience. So... So yeah, so like I applied three times, got on the third time, and so I'm here for at least a year. Congratulations. That's a big fucking deal, dude. Yeah. That's amazing. Thanks. Can you explain what the Fulbright is for the folks that might not know? The Fulbright is set up by, uh, I believe, a racist senator, something Fulbright. I forgot his first name. And um, actually, I don't know if he's racist. I remember reading. I'm just going to assume that he's racist because everyone's racist. And it was back, 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 back in the time when racism was acceptable. Uh, yesterday? Yeah, yesterday. Oh, okay. But so he set up a fund that was allowing for cultural exchange all around the world. So the U.S. government will, will contact other countries around the world. And if they want to set up a fund... I'm not sure like what the agreement is, but the countries work together and then they'll send over um, Americans specifically to the, that country. Each country, I think, has a different deal, but each country has like a different amount of funding given to them. So like Germany, I think, has one of the largest funds, so they accept the most applicants, whereas like a country like Ireland, I think, might only have eight people. Okay. So that, so the Fulbright got you to be in these studio spaces here. This is like an old converted church. Yeah. And there's 10 artists that are living here. So this one, so this was just like a residency that I found that was just part of my proposal. Oh, I see. Yeah. So they just give, they just like, they give you money for whatever you propose Yeah. for the Fulbright. Yeah. Okay. And each one is, I mean, but it's different. Like each country is different. So like, actually, as I understand it, supposedly the German Fulbright, it should be equally funded by the U S and German side, but the presentation that I went to for orientation, the U.S. side funds has been dwindling. Mm. And, and most of this is actually being funded by the German government. So, But I heard like a few years ago, like a few Fulbrighters, the Fulbrighters were put up in like 
a hotel so and like they were given more money and so each one each country and each you know, right. amount of funding varies from year to year I knew someone who their partner was I think in uh, Finland and that's when the crisis happened in 2008 and I I was told they were paid in US dollars so when they crashed <sighs> the US dollar was strong and I was told that year everyone in Finland bought a car oh my god <laughs> because the entire country was in flux and so dollar was enough for them to all buy cars but anyway so <laughs> yeah so what are you doing here in berlin other than uh, i know you're taking german taking you're german. learning you're learning the language you're really immersing yourself in the trying. culture i'm trying yeah how yeah. is that going yeah i mean yeah it's hard <laughs> it's hard every every language is hard but i don't know i think i only know english i know a little bit of cantonese but more uh, uh i understand it more then I speak it. Mm -hmm. And I was in Korea for two years. I did not learn any Korean. And I like, I had an excuse. I was just like, oh, Korean's hard. I'm bad at languages, whatever, blah, 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 blah. And then my dad, well, I was complaining to my dad and my dad sort of put me in my place. And he's like, you know, every immigrant, whether good or bad at that language, they have to learn that language. And they do learn that language. So like there really isn't, an excuse. It's true. So like, so then I think when I came back here, I was like, well, I don't think this would be the easiest way for me to force my brain to grow and learn a language because I'm in a country that doesn't, that its primary language is German and everyone says everyone speaks English here, but not everyone does. Most of the younger people do, but they're all more comfortable in German. Mm -hmm. So... I thought this would be the best way for me to, men since I'm mentally prepared, I think I can try to learn it this time. A little bit of it, you know. It takes a lifetime to learn a language. True. I still don't know how to speak English. Yeah, me so too. <laughs> so what are you doing art-wise? Are you, are you, have you been filming out here? I've done a little filming, but... Um, so like all those residencies that I went to, uh, most of the time, because I'm filming a lot I don't really have time to edit what I'm doing I'm sort of I mean I'll edit it I'll like color correct it and like pick out shots that I like which I guess goes into my process but I I have all this backlog because as soon as I'm done filming I then go to the next site and so I'm right now sort of revisiting the footage that I shot in the previous cities and trying to turn out like three or four videos that's on the backlog and then I think I'm going to start filming maybe in January or February for new footage, at least. Yeah. And you're also working on your podcast while you're out here. Yeah. I was with you the other night and you had to upload an episode really late at night after a long ass day. Yeah. With you too. Very relatable. Yeah. Um, <laughs> let's talk about your podcast. I'm so excited about it uh -huh. because when you first started talking about it, I just get so excited when people do their own thing and yeah. especially when it revolves around identity and the art world and your podcast is called seeing color and you exclusively yeah. interview artists mm -hmm. of color. Yeah. Why did you start your podcast? Well, seeing color, you can find it on www.seeingcolor.com. <laughs> Ding. And all the, all the handles, Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, seeing color pod. So I started it because I think I have a, like a really complicated, everyone has a complicated relationship with race, but mine was like, I grew up in New York City. I went to like a magnet school that 
was basically at the colors of the rainbow in certain terms of like who the school was able to select because it was like 40 starts out with 40 kids and it starts in kindergarten so like they literally can pick whoever they want and that's also why I was picked for reading rainbow so I think we mentioned before but I was on reading rainbow at one point oh yeah we talked about it on Latino School yeah Lunch. and so reading rainbow specifically went to our the, school so reading rainbow the original reading rainbow on PBS Ziwan was one of the kids that read the books Inter- at the uh, end. Reviewed a book. That reviewed a book. Yeah. Before you were the artist Ziwan, you were crisp. You were, yeah, just, crisp. you were just crisp back then yeah. trying to assimilate. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Um, but I think they went to they my... Poached, s- they poached the kids from your school because it was so because diverse. Of that, because of yeah. that diversity. Not, I mean, not to say that it was like a perfect... It's not like a perfect example of diversity. Everything has problems. But from there, I then moved to New Hampshire in eighth grade because my dad got a job there and was had a more secure job and um, I think overall he's happier. But then that was like from New York City and also not only New York City but like a magnet school with like at the time like all the colors the rainbow in elementary school to like a completely white space. And then I went to Cornell and then I was like I didn't I was like Asian but I wasn't I didn't fit in with like the Asian vernacular of like, or um, I didn't fit in with like the Asian cultural cues that these Asian Americans were doing. And then I also didn't fit in with like the Asian Asians, right? Or, the, or um, So you didn't really fit into the Asians at Corn- with Cornell? At Cornell, were there many in the art department? No, I'm trying to think. I eventually found a, gr- a group, like I ended up hanging out with like a bunch of break dancers. Mm. And they, that was like a mostly Asian crowd, but... I mean, like, it took me, I remember, it kind of took me two years, because I was basically, like, didn't quite fit in. But then then I went to Korea, and then I was still an outsider, and then I went to L.A., didn't know anyone there. And then when I finally went to uh, Carnegie Mellon for my grad school, I remember being really happy, because, like, oh, like, I feel like I've become who I wanted to be. I changed my name to Ziwon, and I was surrounded by a bunch of artists. But by the second or third year, I was realizing that there's a limitation to the conversations that was happening because it was an entirely white space. And I also felt like I was prepared to also talk about it and be more aware of it than I was previously in all those other circumstances. And so I noticed when I go to these residencies, so I did a few residencies during the summers in between my grad school, and I'd always connect with the other people of color, and I'd always enjoy the conversations way more. Yeah, And they're completely different. Mm. than any of the conversations that I had with any white person. And so... You know, the uh, Latinos have this uh, saying, what? like called entre nos. We speak a certain way within our own group. Yeah, yeah. And it's like, I feel like that's very common within even people of color. Yeah. It's like well, when the white people leave the room, yeah. where there's like, uh, our shoulders there's are like a sigh. Tense. There's just like a sigh and like, it's <sighs> like white then, people, right? <laughs> Am I right? <laughs> I feel like that was us the whole time in Florida. <laughs> yeah. Just like looking at each other. Like, yeah. What's happening? What is going on? I know. <laughs> I had a hard time like putting into words fully. Like there'd be certain things that would piss me off. Like this happened like twice where like uh, two artists of color, one Asian who was a lecturer, a visiting lecturer, and then one who was at a group critique and they were, their work was being compared to other white artists. Like, why can't it be more like Ellsworth Kelly? And I couldn't put that into words why it made me so upset. 
And I think uh, that's when I started realizing it was important that I had to verbalize why that was so upsetting to me. But not only that, but also knowing how to talk about it, knowing how to combat it, or knowing in that moment what to say and why it was wrong in all the complexity and nuances of what that was. And so that started getting me thinking about it. And then when I met you, that's when you kind of opened me up to the podcasting. And for me, podcasts have been very important because I think of the low barrier of entry for people to start a podcast. You can really get a diverse range of views of all different types of privileges and all the nuances of race. And I think at the time I was only listening to like Mark Maron, NPR, you know, uh, cereal, cereal. Yeah. But I think when I met you, I realized, well, I knew, but I think I didn't really try to venture out beyond those like top 10 and it really started getting me thinking about it. And then I got to hear, like, I think I always, I always point out, like, you know, you told me about super mamas and like, I was just thinking how crazy it is that there's like a, a podcast about two women of color sisters, mothers who also own restaurants. Yeah. Of Land X view. And like, that's like such a specific view. Yeah. You couldn't get any more specific than that, mm-hmm. you know? And also they come from privilege because they own restaurants. Yeah. Right. And so like there's inherent problematic things that happen within they say, their show. Yeah. Within a show. And but it's like, that's, but the, they're also, yeah, but that's also incredible. Like, yeah. And, and that's the complexity of it. Yeah. You know? Um, or like Tea with Queen J, Escape from Plan A, that's like an Asian American podcast. Mm-hmm. So and then so you get to hear all these different viewpoints and they're all contradictory. They're all, you know, sometimes you get angry when you listen to it. But I was I thought it was very learning a very important learning experience. And the thing that I wanted was like I wish these things were around when I was in college. That was the thing that I wished the most because I didn't have that dialogue. All I could do was like hear like really problematic things and like either brush them aside or like internally be angry and then not really knowing how to say it or like be living in a white space, how to verbalize it or also not knowing that other people experience a similar sort of, you know, passive aggressive racism, whatever you want to call it. Yeah. Yeah. And then I'm trying to think. So then I was after I was inspired by you and Latinos alone. So I wanted to try out a podcast yeah and then I guess like the podcast works for uh works on multiple levels for me it's an excuse to also meet new people also like I'm aware of arts elitism and how most of my art are like really obtuse opaque videos about race and I wanted an avenue or medium where I could sound off clearly what my views are about race and not have to be so didactic in the same way in my video pieces. So I can be like, no, this is what I think. Uh, I just don't want to say this in my art piece in such a one-to-one relationship. But, you know, because, like, you know, we'll see, like, art that is about race, and then, like, we have, I have no idea what the artist is thinking about. They could be just, like, an idiot, you know, or, um, or like, a white dude like Jeremy Shaw, mm-hmm. right? He's like, I have no idea what he's thinking. He might be really intelligent, but like when you hide behind that opacity of a gallery mm-hmm. and artwork, like you don't know. And um, when, you're painting, when you're painting a pretty flower, that's okay. <laughs> yeah. But I wanted, I wanted my views to be clear about where I stood and also a way for me to practice. Right. You know, like race, race is a complicated thing. And there's like two analogies that I like to say, which is like race 
is like gravity. This was I got I got this from like on being the podcast on being. Someone said race is like gravity in that everyone experiences it, but only like two or three people can truly explain what it is. You know, everyone basically sucks at talking about it, and you can only really do it by practicing it, just so that you can maintain a certain level of shittiness. Mm. You know, and that's why white people suck at it because they don't even want to talk about it. So they're like they're like just absolute, you know ground zero and everyone else is like maybe like one step above yeah well I will say what I've learned from you is to carry myself with the confidence of a white man yeah you do I I notice that you walk through spaces (laughs) like a white man and uh to be is it weird to be honest it's weird and it and it really bothered me when I first met you really yeah because I mean, my whole life I've been taught to just make myself smaller Mm. and not be loud and not, um, I guess, just that that spaces weren't meant for me and I had to work a little bit harder and please everybody to belong in those spaces. And you have a very like, this is my space attitude, you know, like this is, this is who I am. Deal with it. If you don't like it, fuck off. Yeah. Um, which white people do all the time and they don't even notice that they're doing it. They've yeah. just been raised their whole life yeah. to to think that this world was built for them, which in a sense it is. For now. Uh, for now, yeah. <laughs> oh my gosh. I can't wait for like 2043 to come when yeah. white people will be the minority in America. It's really going to crumb. The San Andreas Fault will crack at that point. <laughs> there will be a major well, earthquake. If there, if there's an earth, right? Right. If it doesn't it might, implode it might on be itself. In, like, we might be in hell and everything's just burning up. But where did that confidence come from? Do you even know? Do you, even, do you know that you do that? Do you do it on purpose, obviously? I do it on purpose... I mean, I guess at this point, I don't, I don't think about it as much. Um, in certain spaces, it's not there. Like one time I went to a party in the Hamptons and I was like, I don't fit in here at all. You know, people with polos and like those sweaters around their necks, but they're not even wearing it. Like, yeah, like, uh, useless uh, rich people's fashion. But I think that confidence came from art. And I think one of the things that I think I was sort of influential to me and I hate referencing it, but like I'm as a, when I was younger, I read, uh, Ayn Rand's, uh, the Fountainhead, and like, there's a lot of problems with that book. But one of the things that the book talks about was like having a certain sort of self-confidence in yourself. And what I took from that, and I'm, I haven't read it in a while, so I'm sure like there might be other meanings, but what I took from that was like, no one's really going to believe in you in a capitalistic society. And in the art world, no one's going to believe in you no matter what. So you might as well believe in yourself in this thing that is so subjective, right? Like we see like shitty white paintings that are selling for millions of dollars, right? And you realize that all of the art world is basically bullshit. Mm -hmm. So if you want to do art, you might as well believe in yourself because who else will? You know, and I think that's sort of where that confidence came from because it's all subjective. Yeah. Right. I, you know, I think an important skill is like being able to step back and be like, okay, like after is in the art, this is kind of switching back to the art talk, but like after you've made something, stepping back and being like, okay, I had the confidence to make this actually, what is it doing? It does it suck in my mind. But, um, but yeah, so I think that sort of confidence or like believing in yourself, that's sort of where it came from. And then, 
that combined with just like I'm a, like a close friend of mine, Carol Zo, she she often she often talks a lot about um white supremacy and we were in LA at the LA at the at the Broad. Mm-hmm. And we were waiting in line to see Ayayo Kusama and then we went we got a ticket and then we went for lunch, we came back, there wasn't a line and then she sort of I forgot what she did, but she stormed in to the guard and he's like, There's no one here, here's our ticket, can we go in? And the guard's like, Yes. And then, so we got to go in when we shouldn't have, and then she's like, you just got to have the confidence of a white male and you have doors open. And so that, you know, that, that sort of like, that incident sort of made me aware of that. And so when I think I, I think I told you, like you have to walk into space yeah. with the confidence of a white male, that's where it came from. Sort of like she telling me, me thinking about it, me being aware of it. Well, now I think I'm going to walk in with the confidence of Z Wan Chung. Oh. That's what I do now. But it is a privilege, right? Because we're both men. Women, True. women have a harder time doing it because there's the whole issue of like uh, strong women can be seen as bitches. bitches right? Mm-hmm. So it's hard. And I, it's a privilege that I get to have by just walking in with confidence. Yeah. I mean, that's what Latinos Who Lunch has taught me. Meeting mm-hmm. all these like really great socially aware yeah. people of color through the podcast, uh, especially Tea with Queen and Jay, mm-hmm. um, is they made me aware of my privilege yeah. uh, listening to their show. And that is, it's really unsettling that feeling yeah. because because uh, I feel like, especially me, um, we really value my family anyway. We really value the struggle and hard work. Mm-hmm. And so like, I'm a brown artist. I have to work double as hard. That makes me extra special. Yeah. Like that was my mentality and that was my identity yeah. for so many years. Yeah. It's like, look at me, poor me. Right. Yeah, yeah. And now I'm like, actually I'm rich. Yeah. I'm not poor. Yeah. And I'm a man. Yeah. I'm a cisgender man who in certain situations can be white passing. Mm-hmm. I have, a, I have a very special privilege yeah. and I need to be aware of that and I need to use that for good mm. and not for evil. Yeah. And I think maybe I was using it for evil for a little while. And while, that's while like hard. Latinos at lunch? No, I mean just, just not being aware of uh, it. Okay. You know yeah. what I mean? Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, I mean, Latinos who lunch definitely, help me kind of get a grasp on my identity. And like you said, it gave me the vocabulary to say certain things that I, I couldn't really put into words before. Yeah. Um, you got to practice it. Right? You have to practice. And like, that's actually one of the reasons I'm doing this podcast is because I can't even tell you, Ziwan, how many times I've sat at a dinner with curators yeah. or with a head of an art department or yeah. with this person and that person. And they're talking and I don't know... It's like they're speaking a different language. I don't know what the fuck they're talking about. And so I realize that now I'm serious now about being an artist. So if I'm going to be an artist, I need to know the art world. Yeah. Uh, I can contribute to it or I can dismantle it. Yeah. I like the latter. Yeah. um, But also I got to make money. (laughs) Gotta get that money. (laughs) So... I mean, I wanted, I want to know, you know, I want to know what everybody's talking about yeah. so that I, I could just be educated and I don't fall into the same traps that a lot yeah. of people of color that are artists mm-hmm. that are being used. Yeah. I, I see it all the time. It breaks my heart to see people of color 
in the art world being used by white people mm-hmm. as the token, mm-hmm. as the uh, the prize, the the trophy that people show around. Like, yeah. look, I'm not racist. I support this yeah. artist. You know, like or not knowing how to speak up or not knowing right? it's exactly. Like I, think, like I had a discussion recently with a with a dancer, and it, it was sort of like I think he asked like. When do you sort of get tired of being the only one speaking up? You know, it's like, even when you speak up, it's like, even if you're on a jury or with like a bunch of other people and there's like a few other people of color, like rarely will they speak up. Yeah. You know, because like, even though you know it's wrong, you might not have the words in real time to call something out. Right. And so like, I think practicing it by talking about it, um, is really important. Have you ever had to do that? Have you ever had to say like, that makes me uncomfortable. I'm not going to do that. Well, I haven't been asked to do that, but I think, so I started this, I started actually talking about or doing the podcast in February, but then nothing's happened since then that I've had a chance to pounce on. Mm -hmm. But I feel like I'm noticing that like when I hear about things, I'm much more quickly able to like dissect exactly what was problematic about that. Yeah. You know? So what can we expect from Seeing Color podcast in the future? At Seeing Color Pod on all social media platforms. I hope good conversation. Yeah. Although people have been telling me that I haven't been revealing enough about myself. So I'm going to try more. Yeah, people love vulnerability, Z1. Yeah, yeah. They want to know your biography. You're a person of color. We yeah. want to know your trauma. Yeah, they don't want They don't want to hear a robot, right? <laughs> I think it's cool that you're a robot. <laughs> I think robots are cool. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Cyborg, yeah. Or cyborg, right? You're a cyborg. cyborg. Yeah, exactly. I uh, don't know. I mean, and something I've been thinking about, and I actually thought a lot about before I started, or like before I started releasing, was... And I just wanted to put this out there as like I'm, I am aware of it, which is like, do I interview um, white women and white gay men? No. I and no, 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 I know. <laughs> <laughs> let, let, let me do that. I'll do that. You do that. Yeah. No, but like I thought about it a lot, and I think um, the and I was trying to think about like the best way, right? Like, say someone asked me like, why don't you, right? And like I was trying to put into words like. Why was I so uncomfortable? Which goes back to like forcing yourself to thinking about race and complexity of it. And I think for me, like, I think it's not very helpful to say who has more trauma. I mean, you can probably calculate it by statistics. I'm sure um, white women have it probably way worse than like as an Asian male, uh, maybe monetarily in society. I'm not sure. It gets complicated, right? But like, and I'm sure like white gay men have it also really bad in different ways. But I think the reason that I decided not to is because I've noticed, and this is just to call out white women and like white gay men, is the conversations I often have with them are closer to a white straight male in terms of talking about race than not, Mm. you know? And, And that kind of shows how whiteness exists in relationship to race mm-hmm. because those white gay men and white women see race in the, for the most part in the same way as a white straight male does. Yeah. And I have, I've, I mean, I'm sure they exist, but like very rarely have I had a really interesting conversation specifically about race with uh, white women and white gay men. 
I don't know, maybe you have, but it, it, it feels closer to... Oof, I've had a lot of uncomfortable conversations that I would rather not talk about. But yeah, I feel like I'm going to make general statements, but like, like equating... I've met queer white women who equate themselves to people of color because yeah. it's like, I'm queer and a woman. Yeah. I'm basically black, you know? Yeah, and I'm yeah. like, uh, girl, it doesn't work that way. Yeah. You know, it doesn't. And then so many white gays that I know that forget that, that we, that trans people exist, for example, yeah. or forget that, Hey, you know, like, Black Lives Matter, I know that maybe you don't think about black gays, but they also matter. So yeah, maybe yeah. we should also be on the street, yeah. on the front lines with all the black women and yeah, all yeah. of the yeah. the people of color on the streets fighting for them. Yeah. You know? So yeah. ugh, it just it just makes me mad every time I think about white gays. Yeah. Um but you know, not all of them are bad, obviously. No, no, no. But uh, but I wasn't saying any of them are right, right, bad right. Per se, but just I've never when once it gets down to like talking about uh, identity politics, it mm-hmm. uh, it just becomes just like talking to right a because person. then it's like the struggle Olympics. Yeah, it's like oh, but I'm gay, and I'm like okay, yes, yes, it was so hard. Oh my god, you weren't out in high school. Oh, your your dad abandoned you. Oh, boo hoo hoo. Okay, whatever. I don't yeah. know. Yeah. Uh, it, it becomes this thing where identity is based on your struggle and not on what's actually important right yeah. now at this moment. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. I think a lot of us, I mean, I'm talking about me specifically, yeah. kind of like, like just let that form your identity so much that it doesn't allow you to grow as a person Yeah, and doesn't help you like help other people. Yeah. It's very selfish to think that way. Yeah. 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 But also I think, I mean, I think it goes back to just everyone's inherently, you know, you live in the world behind your brain, which is self-centered. And so I think if you walk through the world as like, as men, we experience the world as men. If you walk through the world as a white person, women, male, gay, queer, whatever, you still walk through the world as a white person. And so it just makes it infinitely harder to talk about race, Yeah, you know? And so... I think that's that's ultimately what I've seen so far. And so that's why, and since I'm so interested in like being able to have a discussion about race where I could just be like white people, right? And like everyone of color gets that joke. You know what I mean? Everyone, everyone, there's like a sigh of relief that I think, and there's a comfort level of talking about that that doesn't happen, I've noticed. I think it's because as people of color, we're self-aware. Or more, hopefully. More self-aware, yeah. I guess. And maybe that's harder for you to do if you're a white person. I don't know. But but I think that podcasts like yours are changing that. Let's see. Because, I mean, it's an art podcast. There's a lot of white women that, is gonna, that are going to listen to that. No, yeah, I know. <laughs> like a lot. I'm talking to you, uh, Becky. <laughs> Becky's like, hi, hey? Becky. Yeah, <laughs> I'm talking to you right now. <laughs> Yeah. But I don't know. I mean, and I think, I mean, I think the nice thing is just like podcasts are just there and you can listen to them and I don't really, you know, you just have a voice and you don't have, you're not forcing it on anyone. So you're sort of, I think that what's important is like creating that space for people to just have a conversation. And then the important thing is for people to be able to listen to it and just hear in real time 
just people thinking out their shit. Yeah. You know, in, in all its um, humanness and problematic and weird thoughts that are just sort of happening and bubbling to the surface, you know? Yeah, absolutely. Z1, thank you for talking to me. Are we going to talk about your podcast, though? We haven't. Nah, girl, no? we're done. <laughs> <laughs> Our time is up. Oh, my God. Um, You're being a robot now. You're not revealing anything. Well, yeah, because I just wanted you to talk about yourself and you did a beautiful job. Okay. All right. Well, let's get uh, back to drinking. Coffee? Uh, the beer. No, we got to drink some beer. The beer is so good here. It's cheap. It's so cheap. Yeah. It's amazing. Yeah. And you can drink it on the street. Yeah. All right. You know, before we go, I just want to talk to you really quick about you changing your name to Z1 because when you mentioned it earlier, it really I, like mentally put a pin in it. Yeah. Um, because actually when I was in Pittsburgh with you, uh-huh. um, I visited you uh-huh. uh, earlier this year and I think we went to Starbucks or, oh no, you made a reservation somewhere and you put your name down as Chris. Mm-hmm. And in my head, yeah, I, I just knew like, Oh, you just did that because if you say Z1, you're going to have to repeat yourself and you have to spell it out. And then, uh, it's just gonna, it's just going to take more energy for you to, to just say Z1 instead of Chris. So you used your old name, um, which actually then when I started thinking about it, I was like, wow, that's like, you did the opposite of what people usually do in this country. You know, like usually parents name their kids a white name or an American name so that their life is easier and you purposely made your life harder by changing your name. And a lot of people might say, well, why don't you just use your real name? And then I also see, I also see why you do that because like you mentioned before in this conversation, it's like, why does it have to always be our job to educate everybody and to do the work? Yeah. I don't want to be the teacher every time. Yeah. My name is Chris for this reservation because I don't want you to be like, oh, where are you from? Yeah, yeah. I don't want people to ask me. You know what I mean? It's just more work. Yeah, where are you from? I'm from uh, Los Angeles. No, where are you really, really from? Ugh. My parents are from Hong Kong. Oh, you know, I visited Japan. <laughs> what the fuck does that have to do with me? Anyway, <laughs> so yeah, so you decided to change your name after high school. Yeah, so the story, the story is my parents wanted to call me um, D1, which means, which means intelligent cloud. Yeah. And right before I was born, they decided as a, I guess they freaked out and they're like, Oh, he won't be able to assimilate properly. So my birth certificate actually says Christopher Z1 Chung, but they spelled Z1 with a CH because I'm not sure why. So it's, so it's also sounded like Chi Wan. And to me, I didn't like that because in Cantonese, you say Ziwan. Mm-hmm. And so Chiwan was like also like a weird bastardization of my name. So I stuck with Chris for a while. And then I guess when I went to grad school, I think I thought I've been thinking a lot about it. And I was like, oh, there's like a rebirth. So I'm going to change my name. And so I start introducing myself as Ziwan. And uh, I did a, I actually went through the whole process of like submitting it and some changing my birth certificate, social security number, and everything. Not social security number, but my social security card, card to say uh, Z1, and I changed the C to a Z. I got rid of Christopher, so now it's just Z1 Chong, which also fits with my sister, Hoi Wan, and my brother, Ken Wan. And for them, my parents like, fuck it, like, <laughs> yeah, screw, screw the English language. Oh, because you're the oldest. I think, yeah, you know, 
you know what they say about the oldest child, like the parents care the most about it or like they worry the most because like the first child. Yeah. And then so. That's they, why my mom named me Justin. Yeah. Yeah. It's just. She, does your first, does your oldest brother or sister have like a Spanish? No, my mom just did it to all of us. Oh, okay. Brandon and Edgar. Yeah. And we're, we're all Guatemalan. Okay. And while well, I'm half Mexican, they're, they're full Guats. Yeah. 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 She just, I think she just thought it's what it's just going to be easier if they have yeah American names. Yeah. Yeah. She but literally I, just like picked the number one name in 1986. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I don't think I would have done that if I didn't have that Chinese name and if my sister and brother also didn't. Right. If like, it was like Christopher, Hillary, Kenny. Right. I'm just, yeah. Right. Like, I don't think I would think about it, but the fact that my parents thought about it and also thought enough to name my brother and sister Chinese names made me want to pay homage to that. And so I did that. And then also going back to the reservations, like at the time I was working at Starbucks. And so like people were just giving me order names. And like, I also realized when you're working in the service industry, like that transaction is just to get you what you want does not actually to like know you. And like when you're stressed out taking orders, the last thing you want to think about is how to spell someone's weird name. Yeah. You know, and so I put Chris down because it's like, I don't want to stress them out by asking how to spell do you want. Although right when you're saying that, I was like, I've done this sometimes and I think I'm going to start doing it now. Just put my name as Z, the letter Z. Oh, yeah. You know, that would, that, that, I think that would be a fair compromise. Like, what does that stand for? But that, but then that's on them to ask. Yeah, in their, in, in their stressed out mode of you like, you just say them. Zach. Duh. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Do your parents call? Have they always called you Zwan growing up, or did they call you Chris? Uh, so in Chinese it's a little weird. So in Chinese, I think families have it do it differently. For mine, everyone has a name based on the relationship they have to the family, right? So like, what's your name? So like I call my sister Mui, which means it's just short for Mui Mui, which is like little sister. And mm. I call my brother Adi or Didi, which is like little brother. Mm. So, and then I've noticed in my family and also um, my cousin's family, what ends up happening is whoever's name most people have to call in relationship to other people becomes their name. Oh, right. So like my mom and my dad will call me Gaw which is older brother because is what my sister and my brother would call me, right? Yeah. So, like, they would say, like, oh, like, you're gall, like, to my brother and sister, but then that becomes a replacement for my name. And they yeah. could then say, like, gall to me. That's true. That's what happened with my family. I, my little brother is Tito. Yeah. Just because he's little. And yeah. that means little in Spanish. Yeah. And then Brandon is just B. Yeah. Because that's what we call them. Yeah. Yeah. So like they don't, and my sister just calls me Gaw, my brother just calls me Gaw. So they don't actually have to say Chris or Ziwan, right? So it's sort of like a weird So Ziwan Chung is really like your your name, like yeah. your chosen name. Yeah. Well, they, I mean, your parents chose it for you, but yeah. you really Although it gets complicated. defined it. Yeah. It gets complicated when like they have to talk to an American mm-hmm. and then sometimes they, they refer to me as Chris. Um, right or like in the beginning, my sister, my brother, like, oh, this is Chris, and then oh, I'm Zwan, or like my dad would say, like, oh, like Chris is talking to some American, like Chris is coming or something like that. But it, you know, it wasn't like a major shift for them because, like I said, they call me uh, Gaul, or my mom sometimes calls you know Juan means cloud. So 
my brother, my sister, and I are all her clouds. So sometimes she'll just call me Juan. Oh my God, that's so sweet. Yeah. But then sometimes all three of us will be in the room and she'll say, like, Juan. And we'll, all, we'll all turn <laughs> our heads and, like, who are you talking to? <laughs> Typical mom. My mom doesn't remember any of her fucking names. It's so what hilarious. did she say to you? What she my say? mom calls me Just. I have a lot of nicknames, but just she just calls me Justin oh, okay. most of the time. Yeah. Because uh, we don't really talk that much, so. <laughs> Uh, <laughs> no, she has, a, you know, all, all parents have funny pet names for their kids. Their yeah, names. Yeah. It's really funny. Yeah, yeah. Um, we're not going to get into those. But um, so Berlin, what what are you doing after this? What's your future? Um, I apply for a, a DAD grant, which is um grant similar to uh, the Fulbright, but it's a, um, Germany has like its own grant system process and they've like, tons of money for people wanting to study in Germany. And so one of the grants that the DAD has is similar to the Fulbright. So I'm trying to, you know, I wrote a proposal to allow me to extend my stay here, develop my project in a new and different way. Nice. And so, you know, I'll find out in April. I'm also applying to like a bunch of teaching jobs and other residencies. And like, I'm kind of letting, you know, kind of going back to like selling down, like I'm sort of letting the teaching job whenever I get it to sort of dictate where I'll be. I'm pretty flexible in terms of, I think, living situations. Although someone did say, I, this, I met an artist who was living in Texas and she has been there for like 10 years. And she said like, I don't know, it's kind of wearing me down being in a place that she feels is too conservative. Yeah, but Like that's where her life is. That's where she got a house and settled down and got a teaching job with her husband. And then I did start thinking like me saying like, oh, I'm flexible, but I'm flexible, but I'm not sure how I would feel if like I was stuck in like Gary, Indiana for like 10 years. Right. I think for like in my head, I'm like, oh, I'll only go there for two years and then like hopefully get a cheap house and then start renting it out and then leave. But like if life happens and like I'm stuck there, I'm not sure how that will be. But I do want like a, property because I think it's important as artists because we're all we have such unstable lives so that when the shit hits the fan it's so important to like have a place yeah that you can go back to so that's all my things to do but um would you ever move to Las Vegas if you got a teaching job there yeah okay yeah help me out Help a friend. I got you. But yeah, no, I mean, I, I mean, I think about it, right? Like I, I for a long time wanted to go to LA, but then all the fires that's been happening, I'm like, that place is going to keep burning. It's not going to change. So I don't, that's off the list. <laughs> New York's too expensive. So Vegas, baby. Vegas, yeah. Chicago, but Chicago's also somewhat expensive, but I'm thinking like long-term, right? Like Chicago, it's not a fault line. doesn't have hurricanes really. It's just cold. <laughs> Yeah, you can deal with that. Yeah, I can deal with that. Ziwan, thank you so much for talking to me. Thank you, Justin. You're the best. Thanks. You're an inspiration. Yeah. And uh, yes, get um, so everyone follow Justin. For <laughs> they already are. Pods. They're listening to this. <laughs> get more people, tweet about it, share it, and then also follow me on uh, Seeing Color Pod at seeingcolorpod.com and Twitter, Facebook. Instagram at Seeing Color. And then personally, where they can where can they find you? Uh, if you just look up my name, Z H I W A N Z Um, I'm kind of all over the internet. Like 
But my website is Z-H-I-W-A-N.is. I-S is Iceland. I just thought it was funny to be like, Zewan is. Yeah. But uh, yeah, that's that's where all my artwork is. And yeah, I have a bunch of, I have a bunch of random websites. Like I have a photo blog, I have a design blog, but that's my artwork. Awesome. All right, Zewan. See you on the internet, dude. Time, time to drink some beer in the cold of Berlin. Oh, I can't wait. I love drinking beer outside here. You just walk around. It's so nice. Yeah. Yeah. It's nice. And all the, all the, all the um, markets have like bottle openers for you. It's great. And the food is cheap here. It's stupid cheap. You know what? That's like my new thing. What? Like, uh, cheap, well, good food? Well, it's just like I was telling you before, like the whole dead inside thing, like I don't find as much joy out of eating food anymore mm. as I used to just because I've just eaten so many shitty meals. Yeah. Like in the random cities that I'm in that don't yeah. have really good food. Yeah. Um, so now I get a thrill out of like eating cheap food. Yeah. Or like, and then when, it, and then when it's good on top of that, then yeah. it's like a bonus. Like that yeah. Korean chicken that we had yesterday. Yeah, yeah. Holy shit. Yeah. I was like, fuck yeah. Yeah. Shout out to angry chicken. <laughs> I love they, their posters like so funny. It's like so, so, so angry. Okay, let's go. Okay. Bye. All right, bye. You can follow Ziwan at Ziwan Chung on Instagram or visit his website, ziwan.is. Ziwan.is. You can also follow his podcast at Seeing Color Pod on all social media platforms and, of course, seeingcolorpod.com. If you like this episode, you're going to love his show, y'all. I'm so happy that his podcast exists. And honestly, when I was recording this interview, my heart grew like two sizes, like the Grinch. I have emotions, y'all. We had a breakthrough. Okay, that's enough. I'm done. Follow us on social media at ArtPeoplePod and visit our website, ArtPeoplePod.com. Today's episode was produced by me, Justin Favela, and Sarah Vick, with music by Mike McDonald. Graphic design and photos by Crystal Ramirez. Okay, that's it. Bye bye